are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit organization Win Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global product lead at Win by Night and product manager by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Win Win Women in Innovation podcast. And there is a lot to unpack, so let's get right into it. For some background on today's episode, and generally, if you didn't know, or maybe you did, Win's mission is to get women in innovation leadership roles. We fundamentally believe that currently, the lacking number of women in those roles means that the future of the world we live in is not being designed for half of the population of the world, which is women. And so whether it is giving women a platform, education, learning cohorts, or content, we hope to equip them with the right tools and the right people to help get them there. I share all of this with you today because there is a distinction between women empowerment, which is of course so important, and then there is the action to move the needle towards a very specific goal. Moving this needle must include men. It can't be a women's cause and it needs to be a human rights cause, and that is why we, as Women in Innovation, have men in our organization, on our board, in our workshops, and now on this podcast. The podcast is meant to elevate women, and that is why it will continue to feature women first and foremost. However, it is critical that we hear from male and non-binary innovation leaders so we can all learn from them and really fulfill that mission and that promise. It is then my greatest pleasure to kick off our first solo episode with a male guest, Ty Montague. Ty is frankly a legend in this industry. He is chairman and chief purpose officer of Co-Collective, which is a creative and strategic transformation firm which he co-founded with another amazing woman in innovation, Rosemary Ryan. Prior to his work in the purpose and innovation space, he was an executive at major advertising agencies such as J. Walter Thompson and also was a creative leader at major firms like Wyden and Kennedy and Chiat Day. Without further ado... Here are Ty Montague and Lizzie Azzolino, Wynn's very own advisory board member, talking about purpose-led innovation. Hi, Ty. Hi, Lizzie. It's great to be here. So happy to have you. Zoya tells me you are our first male solo guest on the Win Win podcast. No, no pressure, right? Like... <laughs> Uh, I hope I don't mess this up. It will be amazing. No, it's a real, a real honor, honestly. Fantastic. Same, same for us, same for me. You and I met five years ago, and since then, and I know long before then, purpose has really been the stable force in your career, which I know has been more than dynamic. And when you and I last connected, I know you observed that companies that use purpose to drive their innovation strategy end up really defining category norms and they don't fit into a box. And I think this idea of not fitting into a box is really fitting because I know you don't fit into a box, neither do I, which is I think one of the many reasons that um, I felt connected to you from the start. 
And the truth is, I've been thinking about it, this is often something that really characterizes the careers of us innovators. Our careers and interests have so many twists and turns. We don't fit into a box, but we often feel challenged by that. But I think it's the messiness that makes innovation innovation. Absolutely. And, and we met, Ty, when you were doing, I think, what you do best, which is investigating a new way to make a positive impact in this world through your work. You are a person that's constantly in invention mode. I'd love to touch briefly on, I know way back when, you led an impressive and, by all accounts, really successful career in advertising. Now, uh, the people, places, and ideas that you surround yourself with are really far from that. So speak a bit to this shift from really big advertising to taking the leap to start an independent consultancy, co-collective. Yeah. So advertising was a really fun business. I had a really good time. Um, still have friends in it. Did it for about 25 years. But, but um, during that time, I was helping companies obviously tell their story using paid media and I began to notice that not all the time, but sometimes I was <clears throat> helping them tell one story while they were actually engaged in doing some very different things. And that always bothered me. And as a, a second thing I noticed is that there were at the, this is, you know, now 11, 12 years ago at the time, there were a bunch of companies that seemed like they were getting big and successful really quickly without doing any advertising at all. And that made me curious. And so uh, Rose and I started to just collect uh, examples of these different companies that were building really strong businesses, not using advertising. And what we discovered is that they were using the power of experience. They were creating, you know, these were purpose-led businesses that were trying to do something beyond just enrich shareholders. And they were growing quickly by defining a, a truly innovative and, and delightful customer experience in one way or another. And that it was the delight from the experience that lit up the medium of people. All of their customers and their employees just wanted to tell all their friends about them. So they became word-of-mouth brands. And all of the things being equal, that's got to be a better way to build a business. And so 11 years ago, we jumped out of J. Walter Thompson and started Co-Collective with the goal of helping more companies operate in this new, what we think is better way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and better way being really having a clear purpose and orienting the experience and everything you do around that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ty, over the years, I know purpose has become really an increasingly popular buzzword. Uh, given that you've been working in this space for a while, uh, what does purpose mean to you today? And why is it important today? Yeah, I mean, I think that the time we're going through right now is, is really a, a time where capitalism itself is being reinvented. I don't want to over-rev on that, but I really do believe that for, you know, the last, I don't know, 60 or 70 years, we have been pursuing a form of capitalism, I call it predatory capitalism, that really is all about shareholders and enriching shareholders. And it is obvious that that has resulted in a bunch of big problems in the environment and in society. 
and we have a growing wealth gap. We have climate change. We have social injustice. And what is required today is a reinvention of the entire system. And companies need to play a really powerful role. Others need to play a role, but companies, I believe, need to play a role. And that's what I mean by a purpose-led company. I mean a company that is has defined a purpose to make positive social or environmental change, and they are hard at making that change real through their through innovation in the customer experience. I'm appreciating so much of what you're saying about the real power, truly, um, and role that business leaders have to move us towards just a more sustainable economy in, in general. And I know, Ty, you just touched on this idea of experience I and, and have mentioned it a couple times. Over the past few years, I think you and the team at Co-Collective have been really motivated in that direction. So to make purpose even more real by starting to put really tangible products and services into the world. And that meant building a thriving design practice. Why do you believe that design is really critical to unlock purpose? And then uh, given the fact that we're here as innovators, how can we employ really the power of design, whether we consider ourselves to be formally designers or not, in order to make an impact? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, maybe this is a, a reaction to my previous uh, career, but one of the things that I really am passionate about is purpose is not marketing, right? So just telling a story, it is not a, a thing that you use to define your communications strategy. Once you've defined your purpose, you need to make it real for people through experiences, through every experience they have with your company. So the experience needs to be expressed. The purpose needs to be expressed through the products that you make. They, it needs to be expressed through the services that you design. It needs to be expressed in some ways through your business model in some cases. And then maybe communication. We're not anti-communication. We're just saying don't start there. It's got to infuse your entire business. And when you follow that logic designers sit right at the center of all of that because it is designers who are fundamentally creating the customer experience for every company in the world. Ty, I'm, I'm just uh, recalling a recent conversation we had that I would love to fill, fill everyone in on around actually a belief that you have, and I want to make sure I have it right, um, <laughs> but that maybe, and, and this is a question, right? Maybe designers actually have more power and ability to make an impact than doctors. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel passionately about this. You know, when you think about how seriously we take doctors, and we should take doctors seriously, I'm not trying to diss doctors, but you have to go to medical school and and you have to be certified by the American Medical Association. You need to be licensed to practice medicine. You get reviewed from time to time. You can be sued for malpractice if you break any of the rules, you know, that you signed up for when you become a physician. And, and physicians are important, but if you think about the role of designers in the world, look around you wherever you are right now. Designers were involved in creating every aspect of everything that you are looking at or touching right now. 
So design infuses the world for better or for worse. And there have been a lot of really negative unintended circumstances of lousy design in the world. And if designers, I think, learn to take themselves even more seriously, right, and said, maybe we should be licensed to practice design. Maybe there is such a thing as design malpractice. You know, maybe there ought to be a review board that when there are unintended, um, you know, kind of effects based on a design that got put in the world, that that gets reviewed and and hopefully put right. Um, I, I just think that designers are are sort of taught to not take themselves as seriously as they should, given the power they wield to create reality that, that we live in every single day. This idea of an oath for designers, I, I can't imagine a future in which that 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 comes to life. And, and this idea, I think that you're touching on that we as designers, as innovators, truly do need to look very holistically at every decision we we make. And, and, you know, you don't need to be licensed in order to decide that there are things that you will work on and things that you just won't work on, mm-hmm. right? And so it starts at the level of the individual. All of us should take ourselves really seriously and go, mm, no not going to work on this project. This is not a project that is going to do good things for the world. And so I'm going to back away from it. And I also don't want to make it seem like I I think that that designers should be difficult or unprofessional. I think there's a professional way to raise your hand and say like, look, I I don't like the implications of this project. And it would be I'd, I'd prefer to recuse myself from it. Now, most good companies, I believe, will let you take a pass on a project that, you know, that doesn't align with your personal values. Some companies won't, and some companies will just force you to work on it. And then I, I think if you're being forced to work on it and, and you're in a position where you need the job, then you just do the work and do it as, as well as you possibly can. And then maybe think about getting a new job in the future, because who wants to work at a place where your values don't, don't matter? I think what you're touching on is being ultimately informed and responsible and uh, as individuals. And, and Ty, I'd love to talk a bit about your new podcast, Calling Bullshit, which I think is really a great tool for individuals to become more informed and responsible. I believe that the sort of genesis of this is you've, as we've touched on, been working in the space of purpose for quite a long time. So have been really an early observer of what I think all of us might now know as purpose washing. And this is something that you start to really explore in your podcast Tell us as innovators what we should know about purpose washing. Why is this happening and what are some of the red flags that we can look for? Sure. Yeah. So 11 years ago when we started Co-Collective, talking with purpose with leadership teams and CEOs was kind of lonely. Uh, They didn't really understand what we were talking about. We got a lot of funny looks. We were not the first to the party, but I think we showed up early. And today... Purpose is is like the dance sensation that's sweeping the nation. As you said, it's a, it's a very it's almost a ubiquitous buzzword. 
today it feels to us like there are companies who have sat up and now that purpose has gone mainstream, now that people like Larry Fink at BlackRock, who is, you know, sits on top of the largest pile of investment money in the world. I think he manages $9 trillion or some insane amount of money like that. When Larry Fink starts talking about purpose, CEOs sit up and they listen. And so now every CEO in the world is running around going, well, we need a purpose. And the problem with that is, I mean, in a way that's great, but also it means that lots of companies want to say they have a purpose, but not go through the painful work of actually transforming their business to become purpose-led. And so that raises the specter of purpose-washing. And we started to see companies that were claiming to be purpose-led where we thought, I don't know. You know, the the poster child for this is Facebook. Facebook says uh, their purpose is to empower all of us to build community and to bring the world closer together. And I don't know about y'all, but (laughs) I would say they're pretty much doing the opposite of that. And so we started to see things like that and other examples and decided to do a podcast that really explores the topic of purpose washing, calls people out by name, but also hopefully does it in a positive way. So in one of the episodes where we feature an individual company, we do an upfront that's sort of the facts of the case, and then we generally call bullshit. But then we spend the the second half of the show really exploring design solutions to solve the problem. So what, what would this company have to redesign about itself in order to bring itself back in line with its purpose? Bullshit in our world is a treatable condition would be another way to think about it. And all that you need to do to treat your, your condition if you're a bullshitter is take action. We also explore uh, positive episodes or positive examples because we want it to be a teaching tool for for people who are are really interested in in the intersection of purpose and design. Yes, Ty, I'd love to hear a little bit more about companies that are doing purpose right. And before we get to that, and, and perhaps on a related note, I do love really what a a journalistic approach you take to your podcast and the fact that you are bringing in a diverse group of folks to talk about really actionable solutions. Is there a solution or an idea that has come up as a result of that that really excited you the most or you thought perhaps was was the most thought-provoking? Uh, you mean like a, an idea for an action that a company should take? Yeah, or, or a point of view that was shared by, by someone. Sure. Yeah, this is one of my favorites. It's a very simple thing. It, it happened in the BlackRock episode because we did an episode about Larry Fink and BlackRock to try to figure out he's out really evangelizing for the idea of being purpose-led. And we wanted to see whether they were actually taking action on the backside of that and using their nine trillion or ten trillion dollars as kind of a hammer to to drive change in companies. And we had two guests on, Tarek Fancy, who is the former head of sustainable investing at BlackRock, and we also had an impact investor named Matthew Weatherly White, who's very knowledgeable. And Matthew had a pro had a had an idea that I really liked. His idea was just change the 
opt-in setting for all incoming clients at BlackRock from, from there are sort of impact funds that you can invest in where, where they actually measure the positive social and environmental impact that you can, that you are doing when you invest your money. And then there are traditional funds that don't measure anything except ROI. And the default setting at BlackRock for an incoming client was traditional funds. And Matthew said, why don't we just change the default setting? So when you come in as a new client at BlackRock, you are defaulted into these impact funds that really pay attention to things outside of just pure profitability. The idea came from some data around driver's licenses. You know, when you get a driver's license, you're asked to opt in or out of being an organ donor. And when they found that what they discovered was that if you are opted in to being an organ donor and you have to opt out, like something like 90% of people stay in and, and choose to be organ donors. If you are opted out as, as the default setting and you have to opt into being an organ donor, only about 10% of people actually make that change and opt in. So having somebody be opted in to the right solution, the, the generous solution right out of the gate, would be a really powerful way to black, for BlackRock to use its $10 trillion to make massive positive change. So simple. I, I can imagine that everyone listening is already imagining what is, what is one sort of default setting that they can uh, shift to make an impact. I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be thinking about that today <laughs> to come away with my answer. Ty, I'd love for you to touch a bit on maybe there was a recent episode uh, in which you really see that purpose is, is being done right. Could you share with us a, a bit of a case study? Sure, absolutely. I'll I'll uh, I'll share a couple of them. You know, when we do a positive case study, we generally uh, interview the founder or the CEO, depending on on the company. And um, so, in season one, we interviewed Joey Zwillinger, who's one of the co-founders and co-CEOs of Allbirds. And we interviewed Russell Diaz Canseco, who is the CEO of Vital Farms. And Allbirds makes is trying to disrupt the sneaker and apparel industry. You know, a, a traditional Nike sneaker is almost a hundred percent plastic, which is petroleum based and carbon intensive. So Nikes are really bad for the world. Allbirds, Tim uh, Brown, Joey's partner decided he was going to try to make a wool shoe, which is a biodegradable shoe. And he met Joey, who is a materials scientist, and the two of them launched Allbirds in 2016. And they're making shoes that are more comfortable than your average Nike, first of all, and they're making them out of all natural materials. So the foam in an Allbird is made from sugarcane, the upper is made from either merino wool or, in some cases, tree bark. Uh, and that sounds horrible, right? You go, why would I want to put tree bark on my feet? But they are unbelievably comfortable shoes. So they, their purpose is to make better things in a better way. And by better things, they mean better for you, more comfortable. And they are succeeding there. And then better... Um, 
made in a better way is better for the world. So by making them with all natural, low carbon um, ingredients, they're they're reducing their own carbon footprint. And today they're offsetting the rest of the company's carbon footprint through offsetting, but they're on a trajectory to to achieve net zero as well. And in fact, they won't. They don't. Uh, they also, you know, in terms of holding themselves accountable they won't get their full bonus if they don't hit their carbon reduction goals every year. So there's real teeth to their belief in um, solving climate change kind of one one pair of sneakers at a time. Mm. That's such a um, really putting your money where your mouth is tying uh, financial incentives to purpose. That's a, a really powerful example. And Ty, I'm actually wondering, maybe we spend a little bit of time wrapping our conversation along those lines, really digging into as, as different folks are listening, what are some ways that they can actively begin to bring purpose to life sort of at, at various career stages? So maybe we start, I know obviously tying financial incentives to purpose is something that, that an executive most likely needs to do. But regardless of role or level, are there maybe two or three things that you can think of to share with listeners to make our work more purposeful? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I have a few ideas on that front. One is if you're just getting started early in your career, I think looking for companies that are already purpose-led to join and work for is a really good idea. I mean, there are more and more of these companies, and some of them have gotten quite large and have, you know, huge numbers of people who are now working for them. And just having the experience as a young designer of working for a purpose-led business right out of the gate, I think would be really great practice and, you know, hopefully a fulfilling experience. The other thing that people just getting started can do is define their own individual purpose, we actually run a, a a very simple workshop that helps people do that. And if if it's of interest to listeners, I can just drop a, a deck about that into the show notes. But defining your own individual purpose, and then then once you've done that, finding areas uh, within the company that you're working in that you that align with your own purpose and and really pushing toward those directions, requesting projects that align with your personal with your personal purpose is, is a good way to practice, right? It gets you used to thinking about the alignment of purpose and and output and purpose and design. And, you know, my, my, like my personal purpose is to put my shoulder to the wheel of reinventing capitalism. And I know that sounds ridiculously ambitious, um, but I really mean it. And I spend a lot of time thinking about how, how much time in my day am I spending doing that versus other stuff that are not, that things that are not aligned with, with that, um, that overall purpose. And I try to, I try to push my calendar in the direction of spending more time working on my personal purpose. Great, Ty. Thank you. You know, I think what you're speaking to regarding your purpose feeling perhaps like really far reaching or ambitious ultimately it reminds me of the 
power of a vision that ultimately is likely unreachable, um, but it strives to be really our, our guiding light. One question I, I have, so, so the very first thing that you touched on is at any stage of our, of our career to look for companies that are on purpose and ultimately working for for them or striving to work for them if they align with with your own purpose are there any questions you can think of to ask while interviewing at a company that might help people assess purpose yes there are a set of sort of ways of articulating purpose one way is conscious capitalism so is this a consciously capitalist Company is a good question to ask. Another another set of words is stakeholder-led versus shareholder-led. Uh, is this a stakeholder-led organization or a shareholder-led organization? Another thing to do is poke around and lo- look for videos of the CEO giving talks because, and this goes back to one of your flags, if you can't see any, if there aren't any videos of the CEO giving talks both inside the company and out about their purpose, it's probably not real. Purpose needs to be led by all of the senior leaders in the company. They need to all own it and they need to all be talking about it both inside and outside quite often. The other thing is, There are now lots of lists popping up in the world of purpose-led companies. I'm looking at one right now called the Purpose Power Index of 2022, which is from a – it's a deck that was produced for a a conference called the Purpose Power Summit. And it has a list of the 2022 Purpose Power 100 companies. It's a list of 100 companies that are purpose-led. And so there's a lot of those online. And so if you're interested in the purpose space and you're looking for a job, I'd start there with you know these lists of purpose-led companies and then narrow them down and see if you can find a connection and then get in there and start asking hard questions. We like hard questions as innovators. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, I think, incredible advice and some tips for those of us that are in positions where we feel called to work for another company, which I, which I would imagine are, are probably the majority of, of people right now. And at the same time, I know from experience that it takes, I think, far longer to drive meaningful change within an established company. So assuming we're in companies that are not purpose-oriented, and, and we've tried a number of things in, in order to help them align. I'd imagine one of the most impactful ways to begin to orient our work around purpose is maybe through a side project or even going out and starting a purpose-led business from the ground up, which is, is something that, that you've started to do as well. What are two or three things that you might share as considerations for actually starting a purpose-led business. Yeah, I talked a lot with um, Russell Diaz-Canseco about this at at Vital Farms um, because Vital Farms was a startup only a few years ago, and it's now quite a large company, but um, it's grown very fast. And one of the things that he said was, it's very important, you know, if you if you have an idea and you and you need to raise some money in order to get your idea into the world, that you find investors who really understand 
what it means to invest in a purpose-led company. In other words, they need to agree in advance that you are managing more than just profitability in the business. They need to agree that you are a stakeholder-led company and that you are going to be seeing to the needs of employees. You're going to be seeing to the needs of the communities that you do business in. You're going to be seeing to the needs of the planet in addition to the needs of investors and shareholders. And they need to agree with that in advance. He said that um, that really uh, has made his job as the CEO of Vital Farms so much easier because he doesn't have a board of directors who are sitting around waiting, you know, merely waiting for the latest financial report. He has investors and board members who are as who are also signed up for uh, Vital Farms' purpose, which is to improve the lives of people, animals, and the planet through food. And so, you know, following that purpose, they started they started in the egg business, but they are now the number two egg producer in the United States, and they're producing eggs in a much more humane way. And as a result they have a slightly more complicated supply chain. They only do business with small farmers who can provide the hens, the laying hens, with a minimum of 118 square feet per hen and an average cage-free or, in quotes, free-range chicken only gets about a square foot of space. So it's a huge difference for the chickens. It's a huge difference for consumers because the eggs taste better and are better for you. And it's a huge difference for the planet. I think what what I'm taking away is from eggs to shoes to investing, every space is really ripe for transformation around purpose. And, you know, the, the examples that you've shared, I think, are really significant and holistic. And then the truth is that the very smallest steps also ultimately make such an impact. And I'm, I'm really yeah. appreciating that. Yeah, the founder, just to, so it doesn't sound all big and scary also, I guess, the founder, whose name was Matt, he is still with the company, but he's the chairman. He's he's not operational inside the business. Uh, started with one farm, and he was the farmer. And, and he pioneered, he just started taking care of chickens and letting them go outside, raising them the way a, a small farmer would. And then he realized that there was an opportunity to create a new standard in the egg industry called pasture-raised. You know, you have like this crazy soup of terminology with organic and free-range and and cage-free, and nobody really knows what it means. And so he went for, to uh, a an actual standards board and worked with them to develop the standard of pasture raised, which has a set of really humane standards for laying hens. And once he did that, he applied those standards to his one little farm. Mm-hmm. And and he could have stopped there, but he decided, uh, he met the, the founders at um, Whole Foods and they got interested in what he was trying to do. And they decided to invest some money in his business and help him scale. You can and must start small. A powerful example of how things can really snowball in the right direction. 
Ty, we can't leave without ending with Zoya's favorite closing question, which is where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? <laughs> yeah, this is a really hard set of questions. This is the hardest, hardest ones to answer so far. So <clears throat> one month. Uh, in one month, I hope we're we're just about to do our chief episode. Don't know if you know about chief, but I bet your many of your listeners either know about chief or our chief members. It's a a, a, a female founded and led uh, community for developing the next generation of female leaders in business. And um, I'm going to interview Lindsay Kaplan and uh, Carolyn Childers, who are the founders, at a conference called Collision in about a month. So I'll be doing that. And I hope in a month I am motorcycle camping with my wife, Heidi, which is something we do on the side. So one year, I hope I'm still at it here trying to reinvent capitalism. I'm hopefully finishing season three of Calling Bullshit. And hopefully our, you know, right now fledgling experience design practice is um, running, you know, smoothly and we're out hunting for new projects, hopefully directly with with purpose-led companies. And then 10 years, I hope I'm onto something new. Uh, I have no idea what that would be, but in 10 years, I, I, I want to be doing something new, probably in the purpose space. So not sure what that would be. And I believe the industry in 10 years, I hope, will be in deep reinvention mode of society and asking, asking you know, deep design questions like, what does a zero growth economy look like? What does that mean? Is it possible? How do you create a zero growth economy where people find sustenance for both body and soul without the frantic consumerist society that we inhabit today? Because I do believe that that frantic consumerist society that we live in today is a one-time event, and I think it's going to go away one way or another. Mm. There's so much freedom and possibility and spaciousness in what you've shared, and that feels really exciting. Ty, thank you so much for inspiring me today, and I'm sure everyone listening, and and thank you for for being our first solo guest on uh, the podcast. Great to spend time with you. Great to spend time with you, Lizzie. Thank you so much. And if there's anything I can do for any of the listeners, please let me know. I'm always available. Just hit me on LinkedIn. Thank you, Ty. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women and Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenandinnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.